This is Transistor.fm. Hey, how's it going? Justin Jackson here, and it has become a tradition for me to release new episodes of Product People leading up to MicroConf in Las Vegas. This is a conference run by uh, Rob Walling and Mike Tabor, and it's just for independent software entrepreneurs. It's a great conference. I look forward to going every year. And this is a great time to release this conversation I had with Nathan Barry. Nathan doubled down on his software project called ConvertKit and in about a year took it from $1,300 a month to about a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. But him and his team didn't stop there. They went on to double that number and we get into that in this episode, part one of my conversation with Nathan. And before we get into that, just a reminder, I'm doing another podcast called MegaMaker megamaker.co. And the idea is I'm trying to make 100 things in one year. The shows are really short, between 10 and 15 minutes long, and people have been really digging it. Uh, my friend Peldy from Balsamic Mockups just uh, let me know he'd listened to all of them over the spring break while he was out on his jog. And uh, he actually became a sponsor for this month. And the deal's so good, I thought I'd share it with you too. If you go to balsamic.com, that's B-A-L-S-A-M-I-Q, and use the code MEGAMAKER, you get $10 off mockups three for desktop. This is what I use for all my wireframing for websites, mobile apps, and web apps. You got to go check this out. Balsamic.com, coupon code MEGAMAKER, and you get $10 off. It's a great deal. All right. Now... Let's get into this conversation with Nathan. So, first of all, I should say congratulations. Thank you. Because I have uh, worked for and consulted three or four SaaS companies now, and most of them spend years and years and years getting to $1 million in revenue, annual revenue. And you did that in, was that three months ago? Yeah, that was in December 2015. So yeah, like 95 days ago, we hit it. And how long did it take to get from, when you went full-time on ConvertKit, how long did it take to get to $1 million in annual recurring revenue? Yeah, um, that would have been 13 months. 13 uh, months. Four, or four, 14 months. 14, 14 months. Yeah. Though I, I like to remind people that it uh, started three years, you know. It, it, it took three years. Yeah. Um, everyone likes to focus on an overnight success of some kind, and I always like to remind people of the years uh, prior. Sure, sure. The years in the desert. Yes, exactly. And, but a full-time focused effort, you know, 14 months or so. And actually, while you're, we're talking, we've talked about it before, but some people might be hearing this for the first time. What happened in those three years in the desert? Why, you know, why were you struggling those three years to kind of gain traction? 
Yeah. So the first six months were really focused, great effort. I was trying to get to five grand in recurring revenue um, within six months. And that was from a lot of people start counting from the day they launch. I start counting from the day I start working on it. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we got made some good progress, got to 2200 a month in revenue, which was good. But then, you know, if you have other channels to bring in money, like, first of all, recurring revenue is like the hardest thing in the world to sell. Yeah. Like, oh man, is it wonderful once you get it going? But uh, I had no idea how hard it was to get going. And then I also just, I had this other, um, you know, blog and uh, book and training business where I did courses and all that. And I think for every dollar that I made from ConvertKit with the same amount of effort, I could make like 50 or $100 on the book and training side. And so I honestly just didn't work on ConvertKit that much. It was like 10 hours a week and then, uh, by the time it was at its lowest, which was October 2014, we're down to $1,300 a month in revenue. I was working on it like four hours, five hours a week. And you just can't build a business like that. Everyone wants to build side projects and man, you just you just can't. It, it didn't work for you. Something that scale, yeah. Okay, and so then you decided to double down on ConvertKit, which was a big gamble because you mm-hmm. were uh, really leaving a bunch of money on the table. Uh, you had this big machine going. Um, it's also interesting to compare you and our friend Brennan because he took the opposite uh, strategy and it's worked out great for him too. Um, But you decided to double down on the SaaS business. What took you from, let's say you were around two grand? Yeah, two grand a month? 1,300. 1,300. What took you from that to $1 million in annual Um, revenue? Uh, it was direct sales. So instead of like, I'm a huge fan of content marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how I, you know, I built an email list of almost 40,000 people. And that's how I've, you know, made the majority of my money um, selling books and courses. And that's what I was trying to do for selling ConvertKit. Uh, the problem was, as I was being rejected like 50 times a day and I didn't know it. And that's the thing is when you're selling through content marketing, um, you know, you're, you're, it's a, it's a lot of education and there's a pitch, you know, on your sales page or at the end of the blog post or something. And people are reading through it like, oh man, great blog post. And they might write a comment or something, but they're still rejecting you because they didn't sign up for the product. Yeah. But they're not telling you why. Yeah. Because there's no conversation there. Whereas in direct sales, if I say, Justin, buy this thing. And you're like, uh, yeah, that's cool, Nathan. Thanks for showing me about it. Yeah, you know, I can say like seriously, why aren't you going to buy it? And you have like, you, at this point, you're socially obligated to give a reason that you're not giving me money. Yeah, and because you want to help and all that, you will. Um, and so with direct sales, I just started reaching out to people. I made a Trello board to track my sales process. Yeah, we're, we're a little more sophisticated now. Um, you're more sophisticated in what way? Oh, we use an actual CRM called Base, and we have, you know, we're reaching out to hundreds and hundreds of leads every week rather than, you know, just me like, you know, but what I really did is with the trailer board, I had two contact contacted, interested, uh, very interested and then signed up. And then over on the side, I had like a few columns for like reasons that I was rejected basically. Yeah. And so I just said, okay, who could use ConvertKit? And I'd write down 20 names of people that I thought of or blogs I came across who might need a new email marketing tool. And I just email them and say, hey, I see you're using MailChimp. Is there anything frustrating you about it? 
Um, and that got the ball rolling. And so, you know, the first month we closed like $300 in new accounts. Um, and the next month it was like another $500 in new accounts. And, um, and that, that method really got us, um, to about 10, say $15,000 a month in revenue by the end of July. So from October to July. And when you say us, at some point in here, you started hiring people. Yeah, uh, immediately. As soon as I made the decision to double down, I invested uh, 50 grand into the product. I hired a, a someone to run customer support and then a lead developer to run all of the development. So and rather than outsourcing like I was before, I... Okay. So when you, when you say hired, you mean real people on payroll, you're paying yeah. benefits, you're doing all that stuff. We didn't, we didn't have benefits early on. Um, but yeah, payroll, you know, we're paying all the taxes and everything like that. And wow. then, uh, um, my lead developer has equity. And so I couldn't, he had just come out of Y Combinator with another startup and, um, very, very talented, sharp guy. And uh, I couldn't match his current salary. So we did a, a mix of equity and and salary. So basically what he needed to live on um, plus equity. Yeah. Uh, just as a side note, why would he want to work for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a long history going back. We've worked together at a few different companies. I basically made a list of, um, when I made this decision to double down, I made a list of all, all the developers that I want to work with and ordered them you know, top to bottom. Gotcha. You had a Trello board for this too. I did. Um, <laughs> no, actually it was a Google doc if we're going to get precise, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> um, uh, you know, and I just went down the list. I started at the top and start like everyone had something else going on, of course, but I mm-hmm. started recruiting and I said, all right, if we're going to build a real company, who do I want to lead the development for it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the first guy on the list was like, no, I've got a good thing going on. Second guy was like, eh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And we kind of went down. But then uh, David, the number one guy on the list, came back like two weeks later. And he's like, actually, things are kind of changing with the current company I'm with. So uh, let's talk. Interesting. And, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to keep burying the lead here because we're going to get to this $2 million in revenue a year. But uh, <laughs> while we're talking about it, I, I wonder if there was a point where you said, so for me, I, at this point in my life, I don't want to start a real company, if that makes sense. So I don't want employees. I don't, and even like SaaS, there's part of SaaS that I don't want to deal with. I don't want to deal with servers. I don't want to deal with DOS attacks. I don't want to deal with, you know, all this stuff that comes with that. It feels like a big bundle of stuff, right? So was there a point where you said, you know what? I'm ready to start a real company. Like, was that part of your thinking is like, this is me getting serious about being a, a businessman? Yeah. Um, so when I started ConvertKit three years ago, I was looking for the next challenge because I, I felt like I kind of mastered the solopreneur thing of making a good amount of money. You know, the vast majority of it was profit. And I could see a clear path of taking that from say $250,000 a year in revenue to 500,000 a year. Um, but the people I saw going beyond that with information products and that kind of thing, I didn't like their business models at like a million dollars a year and beyond. Um, and so I was looking for the next challenge. 
Now, so that's part of what I, the reason that I started ConvertKit as a SaaS application. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, you know, I obviously didn't achieve that in the first 18 months, almost two years. And so I had a moment of, at that point of reevaluating, like, okay, this hasn't worked. Um, so I, I asked myself two questions. And the first one was, do I still want this? Do I still want to be the CEO of a SaaS company mm-hmm. as much today as I did, you know, almost two years ago when I started? And the answer was, yeah, absolutely. And so then like the next question is then, what the hell? Like, why is this not working? Mm-hmm. And so the next question I asked was, um, have I given it every possible chance to succeed? Like my best possible effort. Yeah. And if it's a side project, if you're putting in, you know, five hours a week, the answer is hell no, you haven't. Like mm-hmm. uh, that's the opposite of your best possible effort. And so you know, I realized there was a disconnect between like what I truly wanted and uh, my actions. And so was the goal of a million dollars in revenue, was that your, your main goal? Is that what kind of motivated you to want to move forward with ConvertKit? My initial numbers, um, like when I was talking to David, my lead developer, and, and I actually just a couple weeks ago made the change to officially make him a co-founder of the company. Um our our initial numbers, you know, our dream was to get to fifty thousand a month in revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, we have a lot of uh, peers in the bootstrap software space, and you know, thirty k a month in revenue is is great for a SaaS app. You can you can have a nice life on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I knew we could go beyond that, so I was hoping to get to fifty, and then eventually to say a hundred thousand a month in revenue. Mm-hmm. But what uh, I'm trying to figure out is why. So why for you? Because we ha- we we have friends that are fine with. You know, there's two guys working on a product. They're both making good money, and that's okay. They don't want to grow beyond that. Um, I, I was just talking to Peldy, and he was sharing this the story of how he did not want to grow at all. He just wanted to be one person, and he finally, you know, acquiesced and hired one. So why for you did you want to go beyond that? Why do you want to go – what's pushing you to go to 100,000? Yeah, um, I like the challenge. If I'm not learning new things, I'm not interested anymore. And I w- kind of reached the end. Um, I don't know how I want to say this to sound arrogant or anything like that, but I could make $250,000 a year off of my blog effectively on autopilot. You know, it takes time and all of that, but there's no new thoughts and no new um, techniques that go into it. I'd figure it, I'd, I'd figure it out a system for doing that reliably. Mm-hmm. And I can, you know, with limited effort, I can keep executing on that. Um, but the money is not the interesting thing. It's the, like, it's almost a way of keeping track of how much you've learned and how much you're growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so there's that side of it. I wanted to keep pushing myself. And the other side is I like teams. Um, I find solo work uh, to get lonely Mm-hmm. And I also like to be able to leverage other people's skill sets. I want to take on bigger things and I don't want to do it by myself. I want a team of people to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I just like the, um, I, I like providing a great work environment for other people and, you know, all that stuff, reading, reading the articles of, um, companies like Wildbit and Basecamp and all these others, you know, as they're putting a lot of effort into a great company culture and, you know, they're learning how to lead a company and all of that. That excites me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, I have another friend, Josh Kaufman, who 
has like in another way totally mastered the self-publishing world. He's the author of self-publishing and traditional publishing. Yeah. Um, author of uh, the personal MBA in the first 20 hours. And he's in the same place. Like he wants no employees and all that. And he has created this amazing business to follow his method. Exactly. And I looked at that and I was like, I respect that, but I actually want a team. Yeah. It, it kind of goes to show like how um, I've been thinking about advice a lot and how individualized each of our paths are. Um, like clearly the path you were on is only really makes sense for you. Uh, obviously there's things that we're hoping to, to garner from that journey, but really like it, it's interesting because you, we've given a bunch of examples and almost every path is different, isn't it? Yeah. And I think I'm going to start more like conference talks and that sort of thing by just saying like, look, this worked for me. If you can take something from it, great. But it's not like this is the prescription of this is how to build a SaaS company or this is how to build a great independent business or anything. It's just like, maybe it's almost less arrogant if you're just like, Hey, I'm just going to tell the story. This is what worked for us. I'll put in any detail you want to know. Yeah. But, um, do you know, the, yeah. like take, take what you want from it, but I'm not like, and I, and I think this has changed for me in the last two years. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm not teaching. This is the way to do it. So like, I'm less opinionated. Um, and I'm less interested in being like a internet famous personality, mm -hmm. I guess. Why did I that, why did that change? I, I see like a lot of the commentary on little things of, you know, when some company does this or gets some other valuation or, or sells or any of these other things, new products coming out, I see it as very temporary and like, I don't have. I'm not sure exactly why it changed, but I, I no longer have the desire to comment on it and to be the first one to get an article out about any of that or really to be as much of a thought leader. I, I'm more, I want to build my company and my team and, um, and I want to enable, you know, thousands of people to reach their own audiences mm -hmm. through our software. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not in the same position of like, you know, if somebody... I used to feel this decently often. Someone would uh, write about like pricing strategies or something like that. Yeah. And they might like, <laughs> you know, take images or graphics that I had made written in like one of my long articles and use that and not cite me. And not like that used to really bother me. Yeah. And, and now I'm like, I don't even care. Like just get the ideas out to whoever happens to need them. Yeah. I don't care if I get credit. I had learned it from someone else anyway. And so I don't know. I just don't care about that game anymore. Yeah. And um, okay, let's let's get back to ConvertKit because this is actually really interesting, but I think this thread will be kind of interwoven throughout everything here. So you built it to $1 million. One thing we haven't talked about is, is who's the customer for ConvertKit? Yeah, so it's professional bloggers. So we do email marketing for professional bloggers. So the irony is that you're targeting people that want to be thought leaders. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I might come back to that world eventually. Yeah. Um, I still write my own blog, you know, but now it's once a month or so. Yeah. Um, so why did you land, yeah. why did you land on professional bloggers? And, and so give us some examples. What are some, some high profile or, or just some folks people would have heard of that are using ConvertKit? Yeah. So a range would be, um, 
Uh, Pat Flynn from smartpassiveincome.com. He's got a really popular podcast and blog. Um, another one in a totally different space would be a site called wellnessmama.com. Okay. Um, they are an insanely popular, you know, uh, like family and life and wellness blog. Um, and then, you know, we have, we have blogs from people who make tiny houses to we've got Leo Babauta who runs the most popular habits blog on the web at zenhabits.net. Um, you know, so that, that whole range, someone who has built a great audience and they're just, they're teaching their audience, um, every day and they're able to make a living from that. A lot of, a lot of great authors as well. Um, so that's kind of the professional bloggers, how we got to that point was originally we're doing email marketing for whoever happens to be frustrated with these particular things in MailChimp. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out that's not an effective marketing strategy. Yeah. Um, So then I was trying to think, okay, who are people like me? So I, you know, who are making a good living online, they have an audience they're selling products um, and they're likely to have the same problems. Yeah. Then I went to email marketing for authors because I described myself as an author. Mm-hmm. Turns out most people who describe themselves as authors, um, their dream is to like one day self-publish a Kindle novel for 99 cents. Yeah. Um, and they're not a good customer. Yeah. So we had to get away from Well, I learned when we did email marketing for authors, we got a bunch of terrible customers who would like turn out after a month. But we also got a lot of help and support from people with well-established blogs and communities who said, Oh, that's exactly for my audience. Let me promote it. And I'm like, yeah, we don't have an affiliate program. They're like, I don't even care. It looks like a great fit for my audience. I'm going to help you out and promote it. And so the targeting worked. It was just the wrong targeting. Yeah. So then we tried like email marketing for course creators and like just trying to narrow in on that. And then professional bloggers is what we settled on. Um, and it's not perfect. Um, we have a lot of customers that aren't professional bloggers. We have a lot of SaaS companies and startups and podcasters and everybody else, yeah. but it gets to the core message. And uh, it also is a little bit aspirational with the professional in there. So we get a lot of people who are saying like, all right, you know, I'm signing up, I'm just getting started, but I'm taking this seriously. So I'm going to go with ConvertKit instead of MailChimp's free plan um, because this is the tool that, you know, will take me all the way through. Interesting. So part of the the job to be done there is that they're saying, I'm hiring this product because it signifies something emotional for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Now, the, uh, you know, when we, we hear big names like Pat Flynn, how much of your revenue is folks like that? And how much of it is just people we haven't heard of? Um. Yeah, so about three quarters of all of our accounts are on the 1,000 subscriber plan for $29 a month. Hmm. Um, our biggest account pays us or contributes 1.5% of our revenue. Um, and that's a $2,500 a month account. Um, so, and so, so we have the biggest account is 25% of your revenue? No, $2,500 a month. Oh, okay. Um, which is like. It changes every day, of course, but like 1.5, 1.6% gotcha. of our revenue. Gotcha. Um, so we're not reliant on anyone. You know, if we lose a big customer, it would obviously really suck, but it's not like we're heavily dependent on that. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of great people in the middle who have, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000 subscribers. Okay. Um, and and, and uh, were you literally doing sales with all of them? Like everyone was going into your Trello sheet, like you would meet... Um, 
you know, some blogger and and you would put them in your Trello sheet and bring them through? Or mm -hmm. was that so really? Yeah, like every single one. I mean, nobody we get occasionally people would sign up organically. We get um, back in October, maybe one account a day would sign up organically. Okay. Uh, and so I would do the <laughs> the outreach and it didn't matter whether you had 500 subscribers or, or 5,000. Um, I would reach out and close that deal. And everyone was like, dude, that, that doesn't scale. Yeah. You know, that's not going to work. And especially to make it worse. Um, if you get if to the end of the sales process, and you're trying to convince someone to switch email marketing providers. They could love the product. They're like, okay, convert it sounds great. The tagging, all, all the stuff, the automation, I love it. Man, I don't want to switch. Yeah. It's so much work to switch. I'm just like, sorry, it's just, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. And so we rolled out something we called concierge migrations, where we do the entire switch for you for free. Mm -hmm. And initially, we did that for everybody. And so wow. not only would I like hunt some, down a $29 a month account yeah. and convince them to switch over like two Skype calls, but then I would switch over all of their forms, autoresponders, and everything, export and import their subscribers, remap their tagging. Um, so it was terribly unprofitable. But how how many anyone, people did you do that with? You two Skype calls, concierge onboarding. How many people? Uh, at least 75. Wow. Um, and now we've done it with so many more. We do it. Now, now we have a team that handles migrations and a team that handles sales and... Uh, but, you know, I just, I had a call this morning with a blogger friend who's switching over. Um, he used to run one of the most popular personal finance blogs on the web and then sold it. Now he's starting a new site. And and so caught up with him for half an hour. And then I was like, hey, send over your login info. And, uh, you know, I have a little calendar meeting with myself scheduled for a little later to go switch him over. Wow. And most of the time I don't do that these days, but, you know, it's only going to take me an hour and yeah. I like the guys. The... It. Was there ever a tipping point? Uh, I was talking about this with Paul Jarvis and uh, Jared Drysdale, and because we were talking about just email providers, and it almost seemed like there was a tipping point where we just all of a sudden heard of a lot more people going to ConvertKit. And I'm wondering, was there once you hit a certain mass, like there's enough people on it? Did you set? Did you sense that people were were more willing to switch? Like all of a sudden they're uh, in a kind of, not a peer pressure kind of way, but a social, there's social a, so, proof. yeah, a little social, well, social proof, but social dynamic there where people are mm -hmm. like, okay, well, everybody's there. Maybe I should go there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that happened around July of last year, right? We were at about $15,000 a month in revenue. Um, and that I started to be able to name drop bigger and bigger names. Yeah. So when I would when I would reach out, just super short email, but I would just say, "Hey, anything frustrating you with Mailchimp?" Um, the reason I ask is I run ConvertKit. It's an email marketing platform for professional bloggers used by X, Y, and Z. Once yeah. I got to name drop uh, Leo Babauta from Zen Habits, yeah, who you know anyone who's been around the blogging world for a long time is like, "Oh yeah, I remember when Leo's site was named, you know, like one of Time Magazine's twenty five websites that makes the internet great." Like, yeah. Uh, you know, newer people haven't heard of him as much, but anyone who's been around a while has. And so um, stuff like that, that started to get basically what I learned and what made me willing to do all the work for direct sales is that every sale I made, made the next one the tiniest bit easier. Hmm. And early on, like it was 
really tiny the amount that it was easier. Yeah. Once we closed our first account that had a hundred thousand subscribers, then all of a sudden every person who had 10,000 subscribers who was saying like, man, I don't know. I'm kind of a big deal. I don't know if ConvertKit can handle me. Mm-hmm. I'd say like, well, look, um, Joel just switched over a hundred thousand subscribers and he likes us. So I think we can take care of you. Yeah. Um, so that got easier and easier. Um, Pat Flynn switched over in July and then in, um, late August, we were allowed to start talking about it. Why, then, why did, why did Pat switch over? Um, so he was really, fr- he was on Infusionsoft, um, and he was really frustrated with the complexity of it and always having to hire out all the functionality mm-hmm. or hire people to do it. He wrote like a 5,000 word blog post on why he switched. So you can, wow. you can Google that. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah, so it was that. Um, I worked pretty hard on the direct sales side of things. Um, I flew to San Diego to meet with that. Wow. Uh, you know, and I, like most people just aren't willing to do a, a lot of the direct sales things. Yeah. Like um, a couple times I got on a plane and went to, I did one trip where I went New York, Nashville, San Diego, back home. And then, you know, a month later, I flew out to Nashville again to meet with a few more people. Wow. Um, And was that primarily you were just thinking, once I get those names, there will be enough social proof that I can. Was that your thinking or what was the thinking? Yeah, that was definitely a factor. Um, I was trying to build up our affiliate program as well. Um, And and I was looking for advice and suggestions. Um, I was trying to get Pat um, to be an affiliate. Actually, that was that was the main thing. Um, and he had kind of tentatively agreed to that. And then like a month later, he was like, actually, I really hate Infusionsoft and I'd like to switch everything over. Wow. Uh, and then, then he ended up falling in love with it and put together this ridiculous promotion plan where he was like, yeah, I want to have you on the podcast. I've got this demo video that's going to come out on my, you know, uh, on my little TV show. Um, I want to write this review. And he sent me the review and I was like, Pat, do you want to be an advisor? Yeah. Because this is some pretty epic promotion. Yeah. And so then we brought him on as an advisor as well. Does he get anything else though? Does he get affiliate sales? Like, was there any other incentive for him to switch? Um, so he, as an affiliate, he gets the same affiliate deal that everyone else does. It's the 30% recurring commission. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, he has a, a little sliver of equity in the company as an advisor. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I was thinking about uh, I was thinking about um, SaaS sales cycles uh, and just how hard it is sometimes to sell SaaS. And obviously, you've put a lot of work into it. Uh, one one thing I was thinking about was you really have, uh, when you're talking to people, the person you're talking to also has the credit card. And there's yes. only one decision maker. That and, definitely helps. And I think it helps a lot. I, I was thinking about how many uh, software products have to go through a whole team of people and how much that slows down the process. And one of the advantages of the space you're in is um, in terms of starting a business is that there's, you just have to talk to one person. That person is the guy with the credit card. Did, did, you, did you plan that? Like, Did you think, well, maybe we should go after teams or bigger things? Or were you always like, no, this is a great place to be? No. So I think we have um, one of the best possible markets in the world uh, and one of the best possible business models. And uh, none of it was like through careful planning. Um, So to elaborate a little bit more, what you're saying of, I just have to convince one person, like that's huge. 
Yeah. The downside is that if someone wants to cancel, you know, the like they're not as locked in, but they're fairly locked in. Like it's work, like we talked about, it's work to switch email providers. Yeah. Um, the other thing, what I have to say, I got made fun of a lot in the software circles for the email marketing for professional bloggers. People are like, seriously, when are you going to target real companies? When are you going to target, you know, mm-hmm. software companies um, or, you know, small to medium businesses or like you'll never build a business there. Um, but the thing is, bloggers are better at building email lists than anyone else on the planet. Oh, man, I really hate to stop it there. Cut this episode short. But the rest of the episode is coming in part two of this conversation. I also wanted us to really chew on what Nathan said there. He said, we have one of the best possible markets in the world and one of the best possible business models. And, you know, there's a lot of focus right now on product and making the product great and product market fit. But there's this other dynamic to product market fit, which is how easy is it to get someone to pay you for that product you've created? And what Nathan, uh, he said he kind of accidentally stumbled on, was this idea of he only needs to convince one person to take out their credit card. But you might be building a, a product where you have to convince a whole team to do that. And so we get into that in the next episode. Stay subscribed, stay tuned for that. I just also want to thank, again, Balsamic for sponsoring my other show, Megamaker.co. And if you go to balsamic.com and use the coupon code Megamaker, you get $10 off the desktop client version, which is the one I use. Uh, So go do that. You can get a hold of me on Twitter. I'm the letter M, the letter I, Justin. Or go join my newsletter for product people, justinjackson.ca slash newsletter. I try to send a newsletter every Saturday, and it covers everything from tactics to the human side of building products, all the struggle and overcoming the struggle. All right. This is fun and glad I was able to uh, put out another episode. And like I said, stay tuned for a few more that uh, if you're going to MicroConf, you'll be able to listen to on the plane and maybe I'll see you there. Talk to you soon. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.